river is rising, rising, rising. The river of joy, the river of joy. The river is rising, rising, rising. The river is rising, rising, rising. The river is rising, rising, rising. The river of joy, the river of joy. The Lord has given us freedom. serving awesome God. Amen. Amen. How many just say, I'm just happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning. We get to love on Jesus together. Hey, can we just take a moment and slip our hands to heaven and invite the presence of the Lord into this place. Well, Lord, as we continue, Lord, to offer our songs of worship, our heart lifted to you, God, we pray, Lord, that as we build you a place, God, you would come in our midst, God, because we know, Lord, that in your presence things change. God, we pray, Lord, as you come down, Lord, in the presence, Lord, you're, it just becomes so strong that life is changed. Lives are changed by your presence. And we thank you for this all in Jesus' name. Amen.
bless him in this place this morning. He's worthy. Amen.
we just love you today. God, we thank you that you are near today. Lord, that you see us, that you love us today. And God, all of us in here, we come from different walks of life. We're going through different things in our life, but you are close to all of us. Lord, we worship you right now. We praise you right now. We bless you right now, Lord. You know, as I was just praying about this service, I felt like the Lord just said, 1 Peter chapter 5, he says in that, cast your cares upon me, right? Give them to me, and I'll take them. That's what he says. Cast your cares upon the Lord. He cares for us. God loves you today. He sees you today. Maybe you feel like God doesn't see you or God doesn't care. God does care. He loves you. You know, as I was uh, just thinking uh, earlier this week, my, my son and I, we were at Home Depot, and he was in the car, and he's three years old, and, and we're kind of going around. I pushed him, and we decided to go into the garden section. And we're going around. I'm not really paying attention. There's a lot of Halloween things set up to buy. And as I'm going past, just kind of looking around, talking to him, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, from the ground, this huge spider jumps up right in front of me. How many people hate spiders? I hate them, in Jesus' name. And it jumped up, and it, it, it took me back, and I was just kind of, oh my gosh, for a second, got a, got a little anxiety. And, and my son's looking at me, and he's laughing, and what it was, it was a robotic spider that came up from the ground. It was a Halloween kind of prank, motion censored. Listen, when I stepped back, I could tell that it wasn't real, you know? And I feel like a lot of times in our life, we get so weighted down by things all around us, and they seem so big and so powerful. But when we step back and we take a different perspective, and we can say that, you know what, our God is bigger than our circumstance. He's bigger than our problems. And there's some people in here today that your problem has been big. I want you to take a step back as we worship and say, you know what, God, you're bigger. Our prayer team is coming up right now. We will pray with you about anything. But if you're in this place and you feel the weight of the world, you feel anxiety, listen, 1 Peter 5 says, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. We'd love to pray for you, but let's continue to worship the Lord. know this singing with me say this is my story oh lord 
Savior. Oh, we bless your name, Lord. You're worthy. Who is like you, Jesus? We declare, we say, and what a Savior, wonderful Jesus. Oh, what a Savior, wonderful. Oh, lift your voices and me and sing, say, oh, what a Savior. Bless your name, Lord. Lord, I bless you, Jesus. You're worthy, Lord. Come on, let's put our hands together as we declare the greatness of our King this morning. Amen. Rise and fall. The king 
Church on the Rock. We are so glad you're here worshiping with us today. In the back of the chair in front of you, we have a lot of information about our church. Our inside look lets you know everything about who we are and what we believe in. Our ministry guide gives you plenty of ways to get connected through classes, small groups, and outreach opportunities. If you're a first-time guest, please fill out the white card in the seat back in front of you, drop in the offering, or you can bring it across the hall to the Connect Room where you'll receive a free gift bag. And don't forget about our coffee bar and snacks between Sunday services in the Connect Cafe. We are so glad you're here, and we hope you know there is always a place for you. Here's what's happening at Church on the Rock. The Church on the Rock Men's Conference is January 27th through the 29th at Pine Cove Retreat in Tyler, Texas. If you haven't signed up, see Pastor Mike or call the church office. Pray for our Mexico missions team as they are ministering in Southern Mexico this week. Be informed about what each party stands for before you vote. Pick up a voter's guide in the foyer and make sure you vote on Tuesday, November 8th. Next Saturday night is Parents' Night Out. We offer free extended childcare after Saturday night service for our attendees and pizza is provided for the kids. Pick up a ticket from an usher after Saturday night service, recheck your child in, and you're on your way. The journey of life can be difficult and confusing. Here at Church on the Rock, we want to help make your journey clear by connecting you to God, friends, ministry, and the world. We offer four classes on Wednesday nights to help you grow and stay on course in your walk with God. Our Connect class is for anyone new to the church or anyone wanting to get more involved. It's a four-week class to help you learn about the church, get connected to God, and learn about your spiritual gifts. The Spirit-Filled Life four-week class will teach you how real friendship with the Holy Spirit can change your life. The four-week freedom class is designed to help you resolve conflict, break bondages, and renew your mind. The Becoming a Person of Influence class will teach you principles of leadership that you can apply in ministry, business, and your home. Between our Connect, Spirit-Filled Life, Freedom, and Becoming a Person of Influence classes, there is a Wednesday night class for everyone. Every day begins with choices. From the moment we wake up, our day consists of endless opportunities to choose. Our choices are driven by our values, our dreams, and our faith. Sometimes we stand out for our choices.
other times, we may not see how our choices affect those around us. Some choices are easy. Others require more serious thought and prayer. On November 8th, Americans have an important choice to make. A choice that will shape our nation for years to come. Join 90 million Christians as we cast our votes based on our faith, our hopes, and our prayers for America. Make the pledge to vote from a biblical worldview. Well, amen. Beautiful day outside. Great to be in the house of the Lord. A reminder, let's be praying for our election, but there's some nonpartisan information out there. Get a voter's guide so you can just pray over it and look at it and make a good decision. Amen. Praise the Lord. My wife and I early voted this week, and uh, I hope everyone seizes the opportunity as a Christian. I want to introduce uh, uh, a missionary who served on the field, he and his wife, 42 years as Bible translators. Yeah. Give you a big hand here. Tell us what you do. Good morning. Thank you. Uh, John 1.1 tells us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, my wife, uh, you, well, you, you and I both know that the most precious thing closest to God's heart, the two most precious things, is people and God's word. And Carol and my, my wife and I, Carol, would you stand, please? <laughs> my wife and I have had the privilege of serving with Wycliffe Bible Translators for the past 42 years. And... For me, I grew up in Pennsylvania, and she grew up in uh, Calgary, Western Canada. And then I went to uh, Sudan for my first assignment. I actually went as a pilot. I was flying with Wycliffe, flying the missionaries out into re remote parts of southern Sudan. And later I met Carol, and we got married, went to Indonesia, served in Indonesia for 10 years together. And after that, visas got uh, difficult, and so our leadership asked us to move to Thailand. We served in Thailand for four years with Wycliffe. Now for the past five years, my wife and I have been living in southwest China, serving the unreached people groups there. It may surprise you to learn that in China there are still 150 unreached people groups who need to have God's word translated into their languages. So Carol and I are working with our Chinese, our national colleagues there, helping them to do this. And one of the things that we have found is that an effective way to begin Bible translation in a unreached people group is through the use of oral Bible storytelling. So we've been working with uh, some number of teams, 25 we're working with, and I'll just give you an example from the Willip uh, people group. We have helped them to craft 50 stories, a panorama from Genesis to Revelation. 50 stories and encourage them to memorize these stories and teach others to tell them. And in the Willop people group, there was a man who was a fervent evangelist. He loved going out to tell people about Jesus in his own language. He'd go to new villages, tell them about Jesus, and they'd say, who is this Jesus? We've never heard of him. Is he a demon, or who has this kind of power? 
But then he began to realize after he started using this story method of telling them about Jesus and teaching others to tell these stories, that now when he goes into villages, tells them about Jesus, they often say, oh, is this Jesus the Son of God that we have been hearing about? And so these stories have been getting legs of their own, going over mountains, through valleys, into new villages, into people's hearts. And now as a result, uh, four years later, about over 2,000 people have come to know the Lord in this previously unreached people group. Praise God. Indeed, praise God. And so now these people really need God's written word. And so because otherwise there's cults out there, these wolves that are just circling, and they will devour these new believers if they are not grounded. And so that we have helped the team now to transition into doing Bible, uh, Bible translation. So they have finished the book of Ruth. They're working on Mark now. Next, they will do Luke. And after Luke, the Jesus film. We'll partner with the Jesus Film Project to produce that film. So these people are well on their way to having the scriptures in their own language. So we, re we rejoice, and with you as well, we're looking forward to that day in Revelation 7-9 when people from every tongue, tribe, people, and nation will be before the throne praising God. And uh, so I want to thank you for your part in helping to reach the unreached. Thank you. Praise the Lord. Do you have any idea over the last 42 years how many uh, how many languages you've translated portions of the Bible in? Take a guess. Well, we've uh, been involved in different ways, some in very uh, distant uh, support roles, but probably well over 100, I'm sure that we've... Uh, wow. Yes. But, wow. I mean, even you folks here are involved in that, too, in helping to support it. So, I mean, there's wow. many different ways to be involved. Well, listen, you know, I, was, I came to Christ because a Gideon gave me a New Testament, but it was in English, and I already knew English. But isn't that an amazing thing to give your life to something like this? God bless. I give him one more big hand. We're very proud of you and proud of what you do for Christ. Praise the Lord. If you want to uh, give anything towards their work, just write Bible translation on your check. We'll make sure 100% goes there. Or debit Amen. machine, whatever you do. A reminder, too, uh, whenever we come to the first of a month, this first Wednesday, we start our Connect class over and all the other classes, too. But our Connect class, if you've not gotten involved, if you've not gotten connected, or you just feel like there's something more in you you want to find out about, we do spiritual gifts tests. You have meet with our coaches. You learn about the church. But it's a great way to meet some people. That starts this Wednesday. It's only four weeks long, and it's at 630 in the Connect Cafe. So I hope you can come out to that if you need any more information. Or if you're a guest, stop by that Connect room on the way out. they got a gift for our guests back there. And we'll continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. And, you know, it says in the Bible that we're to bring our tithe to the Lord. You know, to bring it to the, to the storehouse, the place where you get fed and there'll be meat in your house. But it says the tithe, tithe is holy, it's the Lord. So, you know, when you read the word, you find out that 10% is not even mine. That I just give back to the Lord. But the neat thing is, after that, I get an opportunity to give an offering. And I'm telling you, whenever a missionary comes and I'm able to do that little extra, I have seen God bless it in so many ways. And so I'm excited today. I'm able to sow into some uh, Bibles. That's going to be uh, exciting just to see what the Lord does there. He just always has a way of uh, blessing me somehow, sometimes finding a bargain or something else. But that little globe over there, that represents Bibles, that little globe there with the hole in it. You might see Pastor walk up there, some other people drop a dollar, five dollars in there. All that money goes to Bibles. And we have a testimony from Brother Kaya. 
who is here. We don't show his face on the screen because his life can be threatened where he ministers to refugees in Syria. So let's hear what he says about your giving where we were able to get $3,000 for Bibles. I just want to say thank you very much for providing um, over a thousand Bibles for us to distribute um, to Syrian refugees. There are over four million refugees in our area not even once heard the name of Christ. They have never seen even once the Bible or witness. And so we want to say thank you to Church on the Rock for providing the Bibles and giving us an opportunity to witness to these people for the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. God bless. Amen. Give him, give him glory. God bless you as you give today. Old things have passed away. Your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone. The things that we thought were a breathing in life again. You called your son to shine on darkest night. Let's all stand up and worship one last song. For all that you've done, we will pour out our love. This will be our anthem song. Jesus, we love you. Oh, how we love you. You are the one that our hearts adore. Just let him hear you say Jesus, we could there be than the body of Christ to say to Jesus we love you we love you well we just pray now as we stand before you that your presence would be real in our midst and Lord wherever our needs are today that's, that's where you'd meet us for some we need forgiveness Lord wash us and cleanse us from our mistakes others are weak and fearful and afraid would you come today with your strength and peace? When many are seeking direction, would you give, Lord, the green light, the red light, so we would know for sure what to do? Welcome, Lord Jesus. Jesus, we love you. Just sing it again. We love you. Do how we love you. we love you. You are the one now. Ah, uh -huh. 
praise the Lord. Well, give the Lord a good hand this morning. Indeed, he's worthy of our praise. And tell your neighbor, you are glad they're here this morning. I'm going to continue this morning my series, Not Your Average Joe. It's uh, uh, been about the Old Testament character Joseph. But you may remember last week we interrupted the series and I talked to you about the election. And it's actually, I'm going to have three messages about the election. Last week we talked about the issues. Uh, uh, we talked about candidates. It was entitled Judges Matter. And lo and behold, just this week, the Supreme Court decided that they would take the first transgender bathroom case that's coming up the chain. So it matters who you vote for. And I want to encourage you, get some of that material in the lobby. It's not my intent to push a, a, a party or a candidate, but rather hopefully challenge our thinking in terms of biblical values. Let me know there's more than just Trump's hair and Hillary's smile. I mean, there's more out there than that. I mean, there's some issues that are going to affect you and your children for a long, long time. Well, this morning, I'm going to continue. We're going to stay with Joseph, but we're going to look at something uh, uh, I've entitled the message, God is in control. And we're going to kind of do a counterbalance to the fact that how many know as Christians we need to vote, we need to pray, we need to be involved in our government, but how many know at the same time God is ultimately in control? Amen. And that's kind of the two, two wings of a bird we're going to talk about today. Next week I'm going to talk about the, the role of prayer in the nation's future. So I think it's going to help you today. Uh, Isaiah 46 is where I want to begin. Isaiah 46 verse 9 and it says this, God says, remember the former things. Look back towards, be it creation or what God's done in the past. But then he says, I am God and there is no other. He repeats it, I am God and there's none like me. How many know there's not many gods as culture would have us believe today? Culture would have us believe there's no gods, there's many gods. You get to define God as you perceive him to be. Let me know the creator of the universe is not who I want him to be. He is who he is. Now, I can choose to embrace him or reject him, but he is God. Uh, verse 10, this is kind of the thrust of the message. I make known the end from the beginning. In other words, God can stand in Genesis 1-1 and look ahead to the end of the book of Revelation and know what's going to happen in the course of human events. He can look at an individual's life and know what's going to happen. And he has in some ways programmed this to be, but yet at the same time given us free will. And this is a tension. I had a professor in college call, say that this was truth and tension. I'll talk more about it later. But God says, my purposes will stand and I will do all that I please. Another translation says, only I can tell you the future before it happens. Everything I plan will come to pass. I do whatever I wish. And that's what I want to underscore today. God has a plan and it'll come to pass. Now, I as an individual, I can participate with that plan or I can, I can hinder that plan in some way. God knows in advance even my choices, but ultimately he is in control. Now, when I read the Bible, I'm reading for historical accuracy, I'm reading for, for linguistic accuracy, I'm reading for doctrine, but perhaps most importantly, I want to know, what's this saying to me? How can I apply this scripture in my life so that it, you know, that it helps guide my life? And if we can apply this scripture in Isaiah we just read, it's simply this, God is ultimately in control of America's destiny. Let me say it again. 
God is ultimately in control of the nation, and he uses politicians, good and bad, like puppets to further his will. I'm going to show you later in the message about a politician, a king named Cyrus, how God used and orchestrated world events through this man. Now, that does not mean that everything a politician does is good. Come on. It does not mean that God approves of everything they do, but somehow in their uh, free will and their choices and their actions, good or bad, somehow God superintends it all and he moves it towards a predetermined end. Now, we're going to see that uh, this morning in, in uh, uh, Joseph's life, but I've entitled the message, God is in control. It's certainly, it's about the election, but more than that, it's about a confidence that you and I can have in the future for our lives. Because God is not just an abstract God dealing with nations. He deals with individuals. You have a heavenly Father that loves you, that knows your name, that knows about you, that has set a course for your life if you would choose to follow it. But yet, He gives us a, 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 the choice to choose to embrace His ways or go against them. Now, I want to talk about a tension uh, between sovereignty and free will. If I could give you a definition or two. Sovereignty, free will, predestination... Uh, the word sovereign means supreme lord or ruler. It is referring to God, the one and only sovereign, the one who possesses the highest authority, and he cannot be controlled by others. There is no supreme court that controls God's decisions. Come on now. There, there, there is no supreme court that can dictate what God would do. No United Nations body uh, of leaders, no president that can tell God what to do. How many know that's what distinguishes God between God and a man or a woman who are one heartbeat away from eternity? Now, here's a scripture that would provoke this thought. Proverbs 16, 9, we can make our plans, but the Lord determines our steps. We are not a robot without the ability to choose. We are not wound up like some toy that predeterminedly walks out. God, but yet at the same time, we're planning, but God is directing. The New Century Version says people may make plans in their minds, but the Lord decides what they will do. And again, my seminary professor said this was truth and tension. There is free will, which is defined as the power God has given people to choose. And there is God's will. As a Westerner, as a Western thinker, I'm a linear thinker. I want, it to, I want a, a, a life and theology to fit in, 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 in like, a, like a jigsaw puzzle and everything is just right. But the Eastern mind to whom the Bible was written was comfortable with this tension of truth. How can God know what's going to happen and even determine things but yet we get to choose? Some would blithely say that, well, God, we, we choose God's choices. Well, perhaps, but free will in the Garden of Eden seems to transcend that thought. Uh, the pressure or the tension between faith and works. Clearly we say by faith, but those that are saved do good works. There's a pushing in the Bible in, in, in some respects. The word predestination, let me read you a scripture. Acts chapter 4 verse 27. Uh, this is the early church. They're praying to God after their persecution had, bro uh, had broken out. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the Gentiles and people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and plan has predestined to take place. Now, the word predestined, it means God determines what will happen before events take place. And in this passage, it clearly teaches us that Herod, King Herod, Pontius Pilate, a Roman leader, uh, Gentiles, the Jews that were against Christ, 
They rallied against him, arrested him, put him on a cross. But God said, not only did I know it in advance, but I determined it would happen because I knew that my creation, come on, needed a Savior. And it was God's plan before the world came into existence. God knew we would, the fall would take place. The cross was not an afterthought. And perhaps the reason for time and the choices of mankind is now we that will spend eternity with God have willfully chosen, chosen what it means to walk with Him or turn our back on Him. And we have chosen Him. And our love for Him is freely given, not somewhat robotic. But these are terms that are a little bit awkward for me to understand. But maybe I can convey it in a, in, in a summary statement uh, from the life of Joseph. You remember Joseph now. God knew in his foreknowledge, that one day there would be a famine where the chosen people lived. And God also knew that he needed to get them to Egypt because he wanted to set up a deliverance paradigm, the Passover lamb, uh, 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 the Passover as John the Baptist introduced Jesus. Behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And God had this in mind, so he chose Joseph. Now you say, well, why didn't he stop the famine? He could have. He's God, but he chose not to. He chose Joseph to be this man that would, get, get Israel, that would save Israel from the famine. And lo and behold, his evil brothers, you remember, they threw him in a pit. They were jealous of him. They wanted to get rid of him. So they throw him in a pit, and then he's sold to Midianite slave traders. You might say today, well, what a coincidence. Wasn't Joseph lucky that these slave traders came along so he didn't die? It's not luck. It's not coincidence. It's the divine foreknowledge of God. It is God predetermining a course and a path. But yet for 13 years, he lives as a slave. Now, this is the difficult thing for us to understand because, you know, God is good. Therefore, life is supposed to be good. Can I tell you, God is good. Evil is in the world. Adam and Eve invited it in. They made their choice that affected all of us. And now God comes to redeem us from this mess. So Joseph's brothers make a bad choice, throw him in a pit, but God is able to turn bad into good and keep him alive and then one day make him literally the ruler of the world who's able to feed the children of Israel. So all these choices, good choices. How many know Joseph could have said no to God? He could have gotten angry. When he was a slave for 13 years, he could have let anger and bitterness take over in his heart, but, it, but, but he didn't do it. So that's kind, of, that's kind of what we're talking about. Predestination and free will are like two wings of a bird, uh, two sides of a coin. I have two missionary friends that have impacted nations, and both say this. They say, I, I work like it all depends on me, and I pray like it all depends on God. How I many know you can be in an error in any extreme? How I many know you can have a truth and error in it? You can, you can work to the exclusion of God. You can work yourself silly for God. Come on. How many know work is good, but I can't do enough good things to get into heaven? I can't do enough, come on, if God's not blessing to make a ministry or a church uh, or an evangelism campaign go. But on the flip side, if all I do is pray... I'm ignoring the role that works have to do in this. So God has chosen us as human instruments to play. Now, I want to look at the life of Joseph and go a little bit deeper. Genesis chapter 45, because Joseph was like you and I often are unaware of what God is doing. I think I've got it figured out in the election. How many feel like you have the issues figured out in the election? You know what should happen. Come on. Come on. I hear you talking all the time. Let me give you a piece of advice. I shared this last week. I think it uh, merits repeating. 
But uh, there's, a, there's a, a pastor in Dallas, Dr. Tony Evans. Uh, he was a chaplain for both the Mavericks and the Cowboys. So, I don't know, pretty big dude there. He, says, he told, tells his church how to vote. And what he said, he said, get your sheet of paper and get four columns. In the first column, write the issues. Because, again, the issues are not how many times Trump has been married. Come on. And whether Hillary wrote the email or Huma wrote the email. Or blah, blah, blah. I mean, no, those are, those are character things that are out there. Let me know her smile and the bump on her face and the thing in her ear. That's not why we vote. We don't vote because they're a man or a woman. How many know there are some real live issues that are out there? Write the issue down, Dr. Evans says. Write what the Democrats have to say. Write what the Republicans have to say. And here's the kicker. Write what God has to say. And you look at that list, you pray, you prioritize, and then you're, what you're doing is you're voting biblical values. Now, we have our part to play, but what I want to tell you is even though we have our part and it makes sense to us, ultimately, God is the one that's in control of this thing. And that's the confidence that I want to instill today. Genesis chapter 45. Now, we're at the stage of life where Joseph has revealed himself to his brothers. He's out of slavery. Uh, there's, been, there's been seven years of prosperity, two years of famine. So probably 22 years since he's seen his brethren. In Genesis 45, verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, Mind you, now these are the same guys that threw him in a pit when he was 17. The same guys that deserved punishment, deserved judgment. The same guys that he begged to save him and help him. Here they are bowing before him for food. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, don't be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me here. Well, I thought he just said, you sold me here. He did. But God sent me here. So God used their bad choice, and he superintended it. He oversaw it and, and, and led it into a proper direction. He didn't make the brothers choose bad, but he used their bad choice. Verse seven, he, uh, verse 6, the famine's been here two years, five more to come. Verse 7, he says again, God sent me. Now, isn't that the strangest way to send this little boy walking behind a camel, hot sand, camel poop, on the way to slavery, but somehow God was involved in it, not in causing the pain, but in using the circumstance. He went on to say, God made me. See, this, this is not a bitter person. This is not an unforgiven person. This is a person that now sees things in context. God made me ruler over the land of Egypt. And then after his daddy died, he said this, You brothers meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. So here's what I want you to see. We live in a world clearly bearing the stain of evil, but God is still a good God, and God will even turn evil into good. So let's explore it a little deeper. I'm going to give you three lessons from this. And here's the first one. As we look into our own lives, we'll see that God can use difficult, even painful circumstances to accomplish His will. Say, so what do you mean, preacher? My wife was diagnosed with breast cancer. She's cancer-free now. I praise the Lord for that. But how many know cancer? God doesn't send cancer to bless people? We live in an evil world, but yet God is, is a good God. And a after she gets on the other side, and even during it, she has affected, impacted literally thousands of people around the world who go through the same valley. 
I mean, it's one thing for a guy to talk about it. Yeah, my wife has cancer. It's another thing for a woman to stand up. So I had breast cancer. It almost knocked me down. But I faced it. God was with me. I had good medical care. I'm on the other side. I found that God is faithful. Well, what starts as bad. Romans 8, 28 says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. It doesn't say all things are good, but all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. And that's super important because God has a purpose in and through it all. The brothers sold them as in, in, into slavery, and that was a bad thing, but God's purpose is able to override. Aren't you glad for the override key? You know, it's like, you know, when your computer is frozen, you know, you can hit three keys and it reboots, or you can, you know, do a hard boot and it, and it reboots itself. God has the ability, God is in control. And our part, while we're in that 13-year period, is to keep serving God, not let confusion and disappointment shut us down, keep praising Him. And how many know, Joseph had no idea about what was, what was incredible was just around the corner. Now, he had to wait a while, but he had no idea. The morning he woke up, he had no idea that this was about to be the turnaround day of his life. And can I tell you, with God in control, our turnaround day is coming. Come on, somebody say, praise the Lord. Now, here's the second point from Joseph's life. God has mapped out a plan for world events to follow. Let me say it again. God has mapped out a plan for world events. Now, we're going to read about a prophecy, which is a prediction that Abraham gave. Now, I want to step back in time. Abraham was the first Jewish person, the first Israelite. He's the father of faith. This is 300 years before Joseph was born, thereabouts. And God gave him a picture of the future. And that picture, now mind you, he's childless. In this picture, there's going to be multiplied uh, uh, millions of people like the sands of the seashore born to him, but he's, 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 he's in his 90s, and he doesn't have a child. I mean, it's pretty impossible. When your wife is 90, how I many know pregnancy is not, uh, not, too, not too possible? And all the women said amen to that. Praise the Lord on, on top of that. But anyway, Abraham looks ahead, and then he sees his son Isaac. He sees Isaac's son Jacob, who's a conniver, a cheat, and God turns him around. He gives birth to 12 sons that are the 12 nations of Israel. And then Joseph is one of those sons. And then 700 years later, from Abraham, Moses shows up on the scene. Now, I want you to think about that timeline when I read this. And, and if you're skeptical of the claims of Christianity, these type things must be analyzed. These type things, must you must allow your intellect to get around this. Genesis 15, the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain, again, when God decrees it, it's going to happen. It's what sovereignty is. That for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own. Where do you think that was? Egypt. They're going to live in Egypt 400 years, and they'll be enslaved and mistreated. Verse 14, but I'm going to punish the nation they serve as slaves and afterward, they're going to come out with great possessions. The, the Israelites, again, slaves. They built some of the great pyramids and, and other the architecture of Egypt. The, Egyptians, uh, the Israelites did that. But then God, through the plagues, punished that nation, and they came out wealthy people. And verse 16, in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back to the promised land. So in one, two short verses, God predicts what's going to happen over seven, eight hundred years of time. And what's the message in all this? 
God orchestrates world events to accomplish his master plan. And because of that, I can say with confidence that no matter who wins the election, God is still in control. This does not take away from our responsibility to educate ourselves, to vote biblical values, to be involved in the workings of our government, to pray. All these are this wing, but God is the one, come on, that steers the ship. God is the one that keeps it afloat. And God is the one that's in control. Now, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the, uh, uh, the first lesson. Let me, let me give you another one now. Um, uh, actually, the third one. God can use unbelievers to accomplish His purpose. Now, this, in my, this is my own little thought here, is one of the most pivotal points of this message. God can use a non-Christian. I'll show you today. God can use someone that's not serving God. God can use someone with character flaws. Now, God's purpose may not be for a, a, a national revival. How many understand that? But God has a purpose in play, and He can use whoever He chooses. His choice is not seen as we choose people. Let me, let me explain how this works. Now, we are beyond this 700 years now. We're going to go probably another 700 years into the future. Moses warned the children of Israel that if they fell into idolatry, if they turned their backs on God long enough, one day God would judge them. And lo and behold, it happened. They were sent into captivity by the Assyrians and Babylonians. The southern and the northern kingdom were sent into exile. Jeremiah the prophet, there's a whole thick book in the Bible called Jeremiah. He made a prediction that 70 years they would be in exile. And after 70 years, God was going to bring them back to the promised land. Nebuchadnezzar, history records, destroyed the Jewish temple Solomon built, but now God is going to restore and rebuild it. Now listen to these words. It's Ezra chapter 1. In the first year of this guy named King Cyrus of Persia, we'll talk about him more. He's the key figure. The Lord fulfilled the prophecy he'd given through Jeremiah. Now think about this. Pagan man didn't even know what he's doing is fulfilling a purpose of God that God had revealed to his people long ago. God stirred the heart of Cyrus. Sometimes people are sitting around the room and they come up with an idea. They say, I had a thought. My friend, sometimes those thoughts are the thoughts of God. Sometimes we make decisions having no idea that our decision will intersect the will of God. That's what happened. God stirred the heart of Cyrus, and he put this proclamation in writing. The Lord has given me all the kingdoms of the earth. Now, he's a pagan man. They worship multiple gods. History records that his god was called Marduk, and he worshiped this god. And Marduk, he believed, helped him overcome the Babylonians. Now, this king of Persia, modern-day Iran, Babylon, modern-day Iraq. Okay? So... He believed the Lord let him overcome Babylon, so, uh, and the Lord has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and God has appointed me to build him a temple in Jerusalem. This is the last thing world rulers do. What world rulers do is they want you to start worshiping their gods. They want to take away your national identity. They want to, they want to undermine anything that would cause you to have a national focus again, and worshiping your god is one of them. Well, this guy scratches his head and says, huh. I think I'm going to let you guys go back and build your temple. Any of you who are his people, anybody can go back and may your God be with you. 
You say, well, you know, that's just a story. Show me this picture. Uh, archaeologists found this. How many know archaeology proves the Bible to be true? Now, oftentimes they'll find something and may not know, just like science. Science sometimes finds something. It doesn't align itself biblically, but isn't it amazing over time how what we believe, the best science says there's a flat earth, is actually a round earth. Isn't it ama- well, anyway, uh, this is called the Cyrus Cylinder. It's written Babylonian cuneiform, written 539 B.C. when Cyrus conquers Babylon. Now, again, Cyrus came from Iran, and the modern-day nation of Iran believes that, 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 that this king established what would be a, has been the last 2,500 years of a monarchy or the rule of the Iranians. That's why they want to take over Iraq. Uh, it, it, it's part of their, of their national culture. This was found in 1879, but here's the kicker. It's called by an ancient text on human rights. Many of our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, read, uh, not read, but I mean read about what this thing said. Now, here's the point in all this. Archaeology has basically told us that there's a pagan king, and this pagan king did what no other pagan king had done, and he caused the people in his captivity to go back to their homeland, in this case the Jewish people, and as they go back to their homeland and rebuild their temple, they're fulfilling a prediction prophecy that was given before Cyrus was ever born. I'm telling you, friends, God is controlling human affairs towards a predetermined end, and you and I get to be a part of it. You and I have a part to play. Listen, presidential elections will affect things in the future and make no, dis- uh, make no uh, distinction in your mind. They will affect the future because there are two different visions for America. But how many know whichever vision seems to prevail, one day before Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Now, So this unbeliever God used to further his purposes, just like modern politicians are puppets in the hand of the master. Now, let's look at Acts chapter 1, and I want to head to a conclusion. Because sometimes our dreams are centered around our desires and not God's. I want you to think about your dreams for your future. What kind of America do you want? What kind of America do you want your children to be raised in? All of us have this sense. Acts 1 verse 6, now... When we read in Acts, here's the context. Jesus has been crucified, buried, and resurrected. He died for your sins and mine. And the simple gospel message is, if I would believe in Christ and follow him, he'd give me eternal life. So now he's been raised from the dead. Multitudes of people have seen him, and he's getting ready to go to heaven. It's called the Ascension. And he's talking to the disciples. And listen to the conversation. The apostles. Now, they're the apostles are kind of like up the food chain. They're the leaders in the early church. These are guys that have walked with him for years, seen the miracles. And when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him. It means that this question, this concern, was at the forefront of their minds. And here's what it was. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore Israel? Our kingdom. I suggest to you their vision was somewhat myopic. They were looking, you know, kind of like right here and right now. Israel had been under, uh, uh, under some rule ever since they came back from captivity. 
Presently, they're under the rule of the Romans. And you know the Roman Empire basically extended all across, the, all across Europe. And they were just this one little outpost in, in, uh, under this cruel hand of Rome. They wanted to be free from that. And they wanted to go back to the glory days of David and Solomon's temple. It was those days that Israel knew her greatest world influence and affluence in their history. And they had a prophecy that said the glory of the latter house, the latter temple, will be greater than the former. But here theirs is just a mere, uh, it's minuscule in comparison to what was there before. And here's what I want you to see today. They're looking back at what was. And they wanted what was for their future. But God had something entirely different in mind. Jesus said, the Father alone has authority to set these dates and times. They're not for you to know. Now, here's the future purpose of God. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. What they're asking for, we want to be free from Rome. We want national sovereignty and the power of the nation to be strong as it ever was, just like you promised. And God is saying, those things are good and important, but there's something more important. It's the advancement of the eternal kingdom of God. And from this time forward, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 believers will make steps to Christ. It will grow into 5,000. The whole city will be turned upside down. Your region will be turned upside down. I'll turn around a man named Saul. The gospel will go all across Europe. It'll come to America. I'll find a Bible translator, and he'll give his life, he and his wife, to translate the Scripture in the unknown parts of the world. And you guys there in Texarkana, USA, you're a part of it too. What's my point? They wanted what was. And, and, and if you were to ask me, because sometimes my priorities don't line up with God, it's hard for me to understand why God still allows abortion, the taking of human life. It is hard for me to understand the destruction of the family. It is hard for me to understand why we're even having a debate in America about what bathroom a biological male should use or vice versa. It is hard for me to understand why Israel is under constant attack why there's persecution and martyrdom of believers. I don't know about you, but I want to see another great awakening. Come on. I, I want to see an America founded on the Bible. I want to see, once again, one nation under God. I want to see people proud of America once again. I want to see the, uh, uh, the turkey season extended in the state of Arkansas. I, I want to see ducks begin to migrate early uh, uh, in, in the corridor that I live in. Are, are you with me today? Now listen, a biblical position on life was, says, you can't get around this. God creates life and man doesn't have the right to take it away. And that's what I want for my nation. That's what I'm praying for. That's why we've taken three messages. That's why, you know, that's why this Can you hear me now? Okay, I was going somewhere. Where was I going? More ducks. Seriously, time will tell. Because whoever wins this election, listen, America's going in two different directions. I want her to go towards a great awakening, so do you. But guess what? In the economy of God, he may want us to go one step closer to a one-world government, to the Antichrist, come on now, to the second coming of Christ, and there may be some persecution and suffering, not just in the Middle East, but right here. And look, I don't know where that's going, but here's what I do know. On November 9th, Jesus is still Lord. On November 9th, 
he's still the one that's reigning on the earth because he is in control. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand today. He's worthy of our praise. Now, I, I want to close with this. We're going to go 700 years from Abraham about a little boy. And I'm going to read this passage and, and without too much comment, but it underscores the fact that no matter what's happening around us, God's purpose will prevail because he is in control. Now, let's pick up Exodus chapter 1 in time. In time, Joseph and all of his brothers died, but their descendants multiplied so greatly they became powerful and filled the land. Uh, scholars believe there's between one and two million Israelites that grow in this period of time, just like he told Abraham. And eventually a new king came to power in Egypt who knew nothing about Joseph or what he'd done. So the Egyptians made the Israelites their slaves. They appointed brutal slave drivers over them, hoping to wear them down with crushing labor. It's like Israel was here, God was great, then all of a sudden, remember the prophecy, 400 years, my people will be there. When they came in, they were heroes under Joseph, and now they're slaves. Pharaoh, on top of this, because he was afraid of an uprising, he gave an order to the Hebrew midwives, if a baby is a boy, kill him. Now, that's the supreme law of the land, but the midwives wouldn't do it. And because they stood strong and feared God, they refused to obey the king's orders. Now, in verse 1, about this time, a man and a woman from the tribe of Levi got married. Listen, men and women from the tribe of Levi have been getting married now for a long, long time, about uh, probably about 500 years they had been marrying. This has happened all along, but now God's clock ticks forwards. The woman gave birth to a son, and she saw that he was a special baby and kept him hidden for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, and you understand about a three-month-old baby, just because he's called of God doesn't mean he doesn't holler and shout. She put him in a basket along the bank of the Nile River where there's crocodiles, come on now, where there's danger, where there's snakes and everything else. And lo and behold, mind you now, babies are supposed to be killed. But Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river. And you say, boy, he's about to get lucky. Listen, this is not about shooting dice. Are you with me today? This is not about the high card that you need or whatever to get 21. This is not luck. This is the hand of God. This must be one of the Hebrews' children. And then Moses' the baby's little sister approached the princess. And sister says, should I go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse this baby for you? Now imagine the pain of the mom. She's giving her child away, and now the baby's coming back. And she said, take the baby, nurse him, and oh, by the way, I'm going to pay you for your help. The woman takes the baby home. She nurses this child. Now, listen, she wanted, I'm sure, like every mom, to raise that baby and have him stay there and be with her, you know, side by side every day and take over the family business. But how many know God's purpose somehow leads differently? His mother brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter who adopted him as her own son, and the princess named him Moses. And little did Pharaoh know that he was raising the baby that would one day lead Israel out of Egypt back into the promised land. Little did Pharaoh know that what God said to Abraham 17, uh, 700 years earlier was going to happen when Moses became a grown man. 
You see, Abraham, Joseph, and Moses, all part of a divine plan, and so are you and I. We have a part in this heavenly drama, and God has his. Listen, I'm going to vote biblical values. I'm going to be involved in my nation. I'm going to pray, but ultimately, I'm going to trust God because God is in control of our nation. Come on, somebody give the Lord a round of praise today. He's worthy of our praise. Why don't you stand up, and I, I, I want to I close in, in prayer this morning. Now, next week, we'll keep this up about prayer. And please don't let yourself get divided from other Christians based on who your candidate is. Can we all agree that Jesus is the greatest candidate, but he's not on the ballot? I want you, before you kind of turn off here and, and, and check back into your world, I wonder if we could just have a God moment. See, it's easy to sit in church and say God's in control. But if your wife has breast cancer, come on now. If you don't have any money, if you lose your job, if the economic environment that your business is in suddenly changes, if your product is outdated, things happen in life that can leave us like Joseph was in the bottom of that pit in Pharaoh's, I mean in Potiphar's house as a slave and in Pharaoh's dungeon. Can I tell you, friend, God is still in control. I, I, I want you to just bow your head a moment, and you have a God moment. Wherever those places in your life are that nobody else knows about, but you know where fear is, is there. Anxiousness about retirement, the future. Could we just lift our hands to heaven now and say, Lord, would you just come in and, and help me replace my fear and my worry about the future with the confidence in you. I want you to pray that for yourself right now. It could be the fear of death that you struggle with. Listen, God is in control. It could be the fear for your children. I'm telling you, friends, God is in control. Holy Spirit, would you just come and with the very wind and breath of God clean up the inside of our broken hearts so that no matter what the future holds, we have confidence in a good God. He is our Father. Welcome today, Lord. Welcome today. I want to close with this last opportunity for personal prayer. We're going to sing one song, dismiss, and go home. But we'll pray about anything at this moment. But I, I know whenever we open the Bible, God begins to touch our hearts. And there'll be many of you here today, maybe you feel a need for some further prayer. Maybe something was brought up and you just want to tell someone or talk to someone. Or maybe you have a battle over fear of the future to agree with you in prayer. Listen, we'll pray for anything. But the most important thing I'd like to pause about for just a moment is to talk to you about your soul. Maybe you're here today and you don't know if you'd go to heaven or hell. And I tell you this, friends, the God we've talked about all day loves you. This cross over to your right reminds us of the love of God that Jesus gave his life on the cross. Here's why. Because our sins will bring judgment one day. And heaven and hell are real places. And Jesus wants to take the place of our sin. It's like somebody paying off your car, paying off your mortgage. It's a sin debt that we owe. Because here's something that I know. God has a plan for your life. And you're not here today by accident. 
for many of you that are here today, this could be a divine encounter in your life. God might have brought you to this place in life, and you realize deep in your heart, I need God. I've tried to find happiness and meaning in life and many other things. What's missing is a relationship with Christ. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, I need God's forgiveness. I want that fresh start with God that you're talking about. I'm ready today to begin to follow Jesus Christ as my Savior. And if that's you today, we'd be honored to pray for you. So if you're here today and say, Pastor, I'm at that spiritual crossroads right now, and I'm ready to make a step to Christ. I need His forgiveness. I want Jesus to be the Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, I want you to just lift your hand real high. I'm going to just do it quickly. Let us pray for you. God bless you, dear. Give her a, a big hand today. Others say, pray for me. I want, God bless you too, pal. God bless you. Others say, pray for me. I, I, I want to commit my life to Christ. Anyone else today? Say, pray for me. I see your hand in the back, dear. Give her a big hand. God bless you. Others today, God bless you too, ma'am. God bless you too. Somebody else say, pray for me. I, I'm committing my life to Christ. You say, well, well, why are we raising our hand? Here's what Jesus said. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. But if you won't confess me before men, I won't confess you before the Father. I know this. If I can't make a stand for Christ in a room where people will clap for me, I'll never do it out in the world where it's difficult. I don't want anything from you. This is not to join this church, but this is simply to try to introduce you to your Savior and help you find the way to God. Anyone else today say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to commit my, yeah, God bless you. I see your hand too. I want to commit my life to Christ today. Anyone, God bless you too, pal. God bless you too. Anybody else today say, pray for me. I want my life to be right with God. Now, here's what we're doing. Your hand, come meet us at the cross right now. Come give them another big hand. You that lifted your hand, come meet us at the cross. You can bring your friend with you, bring your family with you. Come on, meet us at the cross. If you lifted your hand, somebody's going to pray with you here. Come on up, bring your child if you need to, if they're with you. Come just make your way to the cross. Someone is there. They're going to pray for you and stand with you today. Come on, one more big hand for the Lord. We want to help you. We want to give you something. We want to be able to pray with you. Just slip on out of your chair. Make your way over to the cross. Our, our, our prayer team is coming around the front right now. There'll be men and women here that'll pray with you about anything that may be going on in your life. I'm very proud of you. If you need prayer, come on up to the front. But if you need to be at this cross now with someone, come on up here because God has a plan for your life. Sing it one last time. We'll pray for you. Did I thousand stories of pain think you're like oh but i heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night and you tell me that you'll please and that i never Continue to worship this morning for a while, and the prayer team's going to remain around front. Hey, they'll be happy to pray with you about anything, but if not, hey, you're free to be dismissed. Be blessed. Have a great week. We look forward to seeing you next week.